0: So I did a little uh, internet research this week, as I often do, uh, and according to the internet, so this is reliable, according to the internet, the, uh, the first use of the phrase, don't be that guy, uh, that was used as a warning, happened in the 1994 movie PCU, which is a college comedy, um, one that my lovely wife introduced me to. Uh, and in this movie, there's a, there's a man who's going to go to a concert, and he's going to a concert for a particular band, and he's wearing a shirt that has the band's name on it, and, the, and a friend stops him and intervenes. He says, you're wearing the shirt of the band that you're going to see? Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. He warns him, just to, don't, you don't want to do that. And that, that phrase then has kind of taken off in popular usage, uh, where where when you're... When you want to uh, keep somebody from doing something that maybe is embarrassing or annoying, or if you want to describe a situation that you never want to find yourself in, you say, don't be that guy. So the person who might cut you off in traffic and then immediately slows down, don't be that guy. Okay, don't be that guy. Uh, or the person who sits down with you to watch a movie, and right when it's starting, they spoil the ending for you, don't, don't be that guy. Okay? You don't want to be that guy. Or when I've had to learn in my house, if you're the only guy in a house full of ladies and you leave the seat up, right, don't be that guy. Okay? Don't be that guy. You, gotta, the, you don't want to be the person, you know, someone who you never want to be. You just say, don't, you don't be that guy. Now, in our passage this morning in Hebrews, we get a warning from the author of Hebrews and he tells us, don't be that guy. Except he's concerned about far more serious matters than the trivial things that might annoy us, pet peeves. Um, He's not just trying to keep us from being embarrassed or to keep us from being annoying. The author of Hebrews actually wants to keep us from losing our souls. He wants to make sure that you and I make it to heaven. So in our passage this morning, he lists three guys that you do not want to be. Let's read the verses together and then see how we cannot be that guy. We're in Hebrews chapter twelve. If you've got your Bibles, please open up there. It's towards the end of the Bible, Hebrews, and we're in chapter twelve. We're gonna look in verses fifteen through seventeen this morning. Just a couple verses. If you've got there, follow along with me as I read it out loud. Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. couple verses. There's three types of people mentioned in this passage. Three types of people that we are not supposed to be. You, you notice it right away if you pay attention to the, to the way he's, he's structured here. He says there's three people. He says, see to it that, and then gives you three things. So the first one is, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. The second one is that no root of bitterness springs up. And the third one in verse 16 is that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. So here's how I'm going to frame it for us this morning. I'm going to say Don't be that guy who misses the grace of God. Don't be that guy who only pretends to follow Jesus. And don't be that guy who trades his future for a bowl of stew. Let's look at those in order. So the first one this morning, don't be that guy who misses the grace of God. This is verse 15, the very beginning. I'm going to read it again. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. In various translations, and might say fails to obtain the grace of God or "falls short of the grace of God or miss the grace of God. This is the first guy that you don't want to be. You don't want to be the one who misses the grace of God because the grace of God is literally what Christianity is all about. This is the thing that sets us apart from every other religion in the world. It's the grace of God. You know, every other religion, if you, go, you sit down and you look, what is your religion about? They will tell you it's about what you have to do. Everybody else, it's what you have to do. So in Hinduism, there's the idea of karma. And if you do good things in, in this life, then it will come back to you in the next life and you'll be better off. But if you do bad things in this life, it'll come back to you in the next life and you'll be worse off. Or even in Buddhism, there's the eightfold path. And if you follow these eight principles, then you will end up Enlightened but if you don't, then you'll miss out on that. Or Islam, you've got the five pillars. If you do these five pillars of Islam, then you will achieve salvation and you will have eternal life. That's every other religion in the world. It's about what you do. And even Christianity is often misrepresented, misrepresented as a similar sort of deal where you've got to do something that that, that if you do good, then you'll make it to heaven. And we, we, go, we misunderstand it that way because that's just how we're wired to think. In every other way that we experience life, it's performance. If you do well in school, if you, get, you know, if you work hard, then you'll get good grades. If you work hard at your job, then you'll get paid well. And so we think, well, if I work hard at my religion, then I'll go to heaven. But that's not Christianity. Hey, We've got, we got to hear this. You got to just listen to your ears. You got to, let's hear this. That's not Christianity. You don't want to be the guy who misses out on grace. Don't don't think that that's what Christianity is about. The good news of the gospel is grace. The message of Christianity is that none of us could ever do enough to earn God's favor. In fact, we're so bad that we deserve God's condemnation. We deserve his wrath. and Even taking into account all the good that we may have done, we deserve to be condemned but God in his grace doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, Jesus took what we deserve. He died on the cross in our place, and he paid for the wrong that we have done. And now he offers us perfect righteousness, eternal life as an absolutely free gift. It's grace. That's what Christianity is all about. Don't miss it. That's the first warning. Don't be the guy who misses this. You probably don't know the last words of Buddha. I'm going to tell you. The last words of Buddha were, work hard to gain your own salvation. You probably do know some of the last words of Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus says, it's finished. That's grace. That's the difference. Every other religion says, do. Jesus says, done. Every other religion says, work for it. Jesus says, finished it. Okay, that's, that's grace. God offers salvation as a free gift. There's nothing that you can do. It's already been done for you. Okay, do, do you get that? This is the first warning that we see. The first guy you're not supposed to be. Don't be the guy who misses that. Don't miss out on grace. You have to understand this because it's, it's possible. In fact, it's... Is it, is it probable? I don't mean it's probable, but it It, it happens where you could go to church for years and years and years and miss grace. Frank Barker Jr. was that guy. Frank Barker Jr. eventually uh, became a founding pastor of a church in Birmingham that uh, just grew to a tremendous size, wonderful church, great pastor. But before he was that, he was a hard-living, hard-drinking Navy pilot. Frank was raised in a Christian home. And one day he decided, you know, I need to change my life. I need to shape up. I need to to start being good so that I can appease God and and he'll like me again because I've done a lot of bad stuff. So what Frank decided to do was that he decided he'd go to seminary and he'd become a pastor. Thought that would please God. So he went to seminary. He studied to be a pastor. And even while he was in seminary for two years, he was preaching at a local church before he was a Christian. Right? He, he doesn't believe the gospel at this point. But he, he just, he's like, I'm going to be good. I'm going to go be a pastor. God will like that. And he started preaching in church. He's studying in seminary for two years until finally it clicked and he realized salvation is a gift. There's nothing that he could do to earn it. There's nothing that he could do to deserve it. And when that clicked for him, he couldn't believe that he missed it all these years. So here's what he said. He says, I wondered why no one had told me that salvation was a gift. Then I thought, isn't it strange that Martin Luther didn't know that? The reason I thought about Luther was that I just read his commentary on Galatians for a course I was taking. If Luther had known that salvation is a gift, he would have brought it out in the book. I wanted to see how he'd missed it, so I pulled the commentary off the shelf and reread it. To my amazement, it was on every page. Can okay, have you know anything about Martin Luther or about Galatians? I think this should just floor you, right? Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation because of this principle. He fought the Catholic Church because he said, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, with nothing that we can do. And the book of Galatians, we studied this not too long ago, is all about this principle that salvation is by faith alone. There's nothing that you can do. And and, and Frank was able to read this book and to study this book of the Bible and miss the message of grace. So he called his parents up his Christian parents, and he said, why didn't you tell me that salvation was by grace? And they said, Frank, we did. We did. You didn't listen. You were blind to it. You missed it. And somewhere through his Christian upbringing and through attending church and through going to seminary and studying the Bible and preaching for two years, he was able to miss the message of salvation by grace alone. Don't be that guy. don't be that guy. Don't be the one who says, I never heard the gospel. You're hearing it right now. Don't be the one who ends up standing before God and saying, I tried hard. Isn't that what you wanted? It's not what God wants. What God wants is for you to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and receive grace as a gift. So the first warning that he points out to says, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who misses out on grace. It's not about your performance at all. It's about Jesus and what he's done. Don't be that guy who misses out on grace. The second warning. It's also in verse 15. He says, don't be that guy who only pretends to follow Jesus. I'm going to have to explain this one a little bit more to show you where I'm getting this out of the passage, but it's Hebrews 15, the, the second part here, follow me. He says, See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So the key thing is he wants no root of bitterness, no bitter root. What is that? Okay, it's really natural to think that what he's talking about here is like letting bitterness take root in your heart, like don't let any bitterness just fester in there, and that's really great advice. Right? You don't want to be that guy either. Don't, don't let that happen. Don't let bitterness take a hold in your life because it'll, it'll ruin all sorts of stuff. But that's not actually what the emphasis in this passage is, is about. Uh, most people recognize now, you know, the commentators and study Bibles, recognize that this is a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 29. I'm going to flip back there. You can if you want. Deuteronomy 29. I'm just going to read a couple verses here. He's hearkening back to this passage here. It's Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 and 19. The warning here says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. All right, well, what we have here, this is, this is Old Testament, right? This is people of Israel getting a covenant from God saying, I'm, We're going to be your people. You're going to be our God. And the warning here is say, Watch out for somebody who's a part of this covenant community, somebody who's in the nation. And, and makes every appearance of, of still following God, but they're still walking with the people, they're still participating in all the other stuff that they're doing, rituals and, and following the law. But he says, watch out for this person who in their heart, right in verse 19, when he hears the word of the covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I will be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. We're talking about a person who's, who's in the community who's a part of the nation, who's got all outward appearance of being a part of the community and and following God, but in the stubbornness of their heart, they say, I'm going to go my own way. They say, I'll be safe because everybody else is following. Everybody else is good. I'll be fine. I'm going to go my own way. I'll just take care. The outward benefits, the external benefits, but inwardly, I'm going to deny God. I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to go my own way. We've got a word for this kind of person. We call him a hypocrite. It's a hypocrite. Someone who pretends to follow God but doesn't really. In the book of Isaiah, God describes this phenomenon because it, it takes root. and He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's a hypocrite. That's the bitter root that he's talking about here. He says, don't let this bitter root uh, come into your lives. Don't, don't let this take root in your life, this bitter root of hypocrisy, because it's a root that will take hold and it will bear bitter fruit. All right. Now, So that's describing an Old Testament phenomenon. We still have these today. We still have hypocrites today in the church. Now, some folks will tell you the church is full of them. I don't think the church is full of hypocrites, but I think they still exist. People who are part of a church outwardly, who have all appearance of being a Christian, of following God, but inwardly, in their heart, they're stubbornly saying, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'll pay lip service to God, but he's not really my Lord. And when I was preparing this, at this this point in the sermon, I just really struggled because I was thinking, "Ah, "Do we really need this? Do we really need this?" I mean, yes, hypocrites exist, but do any exist in our church? And I'm just kind of thinking because I was trying to think through, how does this apply to us specifically to us? I'm like, "Is this is this something that we need? Do we have hypocrites?" And as far as I can tell, as far as I can tell, I don't think so. I mean, as far as I can tell, everybody who's a part of our community is a genuine follower of Jesus. But, for what it's worth, I'm not very good at spotting hypocrites. So I can't just say, oh, this does not apply to us, let's just pass it on. I don't know, that's the whole point of hypocrisy. You could be really good at faking it. And I'm missing it, so I'm not just going to skip over this warning and say it doesn't apply to us. I don't know, so let the Holy Spirit apply this to you. Because I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not good at spotting hypocrites. There's, there's one time in high school where I'd gone to a church camp and uh, I was there with another guy who was, I, I didn't know many people from my school. There was one guy who I knew, kind of an acquaintance. And, and we had this really powerful experience at the end of the camp where we, we, it was a great time of worship and we, we participated in communion. We uh, you know, sat with other people and confessed sins to one another and, and it was really deep and meaningful and just a real powerful time for me. And I was there with that guy, and we were doing this—we were confessing sin to each other. We took communion together. It was just really deep. And I felt like after that experience that we were now, I guess, moved from acquaintance to friend. And so when we got back from camp, uh, we went out one time, and, and he, uh, I don't remember where we are going. I remember being in the car, and he was driving really fast and telling some dirty jokes or something. And, and I remember him looking at me, kind of joking like I'm in on it, saying, can you believe we just went to church camp? And it took me a minute to process that because I was thinking the same thing, but not in a jokey sort of way. Like, and and it hit me like you were faking it. That was like it was real for me, but you were faking it. You 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 were just going through the motions, and and, you, and nothing really changed for you. And that was just it was hypocrisy. Okay, that, that, that happens. Now in, in, high, in high school, I was naive. I didn't I didn't realize that that happened. I'm a little wiser now, a little more discerning. I still don't have a perfect hypocrisy detector. Um, so just because I don't think we have any hypocrites doesn't mean it's true. So I'm just going to give you the warning and you let the Holy Spirit deal with you on this one. But, but don't be this guy. Okay? Don't be the guy who goes through the motions outwardly but inwardly has no relationship with Jesus. Don't be the guy who spends so much time and so much energy trying to fool people into thinking that he's a good Christian. When in your heart, you're just stubbornly saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care what God has to say. Don't, don't be that guy. I recognize that it may feel like the only option. You may be a place where you, you feel like, well, that that's all I could ever do. Because you see, I've got this this sin in my life. I've got this double life. Nobody knows about it. I don't want anybody to know about it. I don't want to give it up. So... The only way I can think to hold those two things together is by being a hypocrite. All right, I've got this sin that I, I want to engage in this double life and I don't want to let that go. I don't want people to know about who I am. So the only two way I can have these two things at the same time is by faking it. And that might be what you think, but let me give you a better way. The better solution is just to come into the light. It feels more painful, it feels scarier, but it's, it's the best way to bring healing and wholeness into your life. If you're trapped in a pattern right now where you're you're merely pretending to follow Jesus because you don't want people to know what's really going on, may I suggest why don't you just actually follow Jesus? Okay? Remember the first point, don't miss out on grace. Hypocrisy flourishes in an environment of legalism and performance because you can't let people know that you failed. But the reality is grace that Jesus offers forgiveness and healing and restoration. And so all you need to do is to take advantage of that grace and to come into the light, reveal your sin, repent of your sin, and find wholeness in healing. Double lives are exhausting. They're exhausting. But living with honesty brings freedom. So so if you're at a place right now, again, I don't know. You know. The Holy Spirit knows. But if you're at a place right now where you're living and you're only pretending to follow Jesus, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Admit your sin. Come into the light. There's healing. Don't forget about grace. Don't miss out on grace. So we've got two warnings so far, two people not to be. You don't want to be the guy who misses out on grace. You don't want to be the guy who only pretends to follow Jesus. And the third one, maybe a little more cryptic to you, but you you don't want to be the guy who trades his future for a bowl of stew. Don't be that guy. Let's get back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Now we're in verses 16 and 17, the third warning. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So we think about these these warnings. Remember, the author, he was just trying to, to make sure we get to heaven. He's saying, I'm trying to save your soul. So you don't want to be that guy who misses out on grace and therefore misses out on eternal life. You don't want to be the, the hypocrite who only pretends to follow Jesus and therefore does not get eternal life. And now he says, uh, you don't want to be this guy who can't delay gratification long enough to choose Jesus over sin. He's so saying, you don't want to be like Esau. This guy Esau. You got to understand his backstory if you're going to get this warning. Esau. You can read about this in Genesis 25. Uh, it's it's a, it's kind of a hilarious story. We just read it in family worship not too long ago. And uh, yeah, it's two brothers, Esau and Jacob. Their dad's Isaac. And these guys are twins. Far from identical, but they're twins. Um, Couldn't be more different. In fact, Esau, as you probably know, is this hairy guy. He's an outdoorsman. He's dad's favorite. Jacob is uh, smooth-skinned. He likes to cook. Mama's boy. Uh, Two very different brothers. They're twins. Esau is the older brother. He was born just a a couple seconds before Jacob. Uh, And because Esau is the older brother, he gets certain great benefits. Uh, One of those benefits is the birthright. Uh, The birthright was, uh, the practice there is that the older son would get twice as much inheritance as the second son. You get twice as much because they then become the patriarch and they're in charge of the whole family and keeping the estate together. And so they get twice as much. And and Isaac's a pretty rich dude, so he's going to get a lot more than Jacob. It's a huge blessing. He's going to get to be the the patriarch. When dad dies, he'll run the family. He'll be in charge of the estate. And even more than that, in this family, because it's special, this is the family that God has made promises to, where God said to Abraham and then to Isaac, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to be a great nation. I'm going to save the world through you. I'm going to bless people through you. So the firstborn son in this family is going to get all that too? God's going to be the God of Abraham and Isaac and Esau? All right, so this is all coming to Esau. But Esau, in addition to being really hairy and the outdoor guy, he's he's, he's not very good at delayed gratification. So one day um, Esau comes in, from outside. I'll just read these verses to you because it's, uh, it's good. Genesis 25, starting verse 29. It says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. All right, so, so Esau is hungry, he's exhausted, he wants the stew, Jacob. Being the crafty younger brother says, ah, I see an opportunity. So Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Again, anybody who's got kids is familiar with this expression, right? I'm, I'm going to die. If I don't get this thing that I need right now, I'm going to die. I have to have it or I'm going to die. This is just how, this is how kids operate, right? In fact, psychologists have done studies to show you that kids have trouble with self, uh, self uh, delayed gratification, right? They can't manage themselves. And not like we need psychologists to tell us this, but, but there's, there's funny studies, you know, right? They put a kid in a room with a cookie and they say to the kid, I'm going to leave you here for five minutes. If you could just not eat this cookie, when I come back, I'll give you five cookies, Okay. Most of the kids eat the cookie. Right? You leave a kid alone in a room with a cookie, I don't care how many things you promise them, in five minutes they're going to eat the cookie because kids are not good at delayed gratification. And when I was talking about this around our dinner table, you know, our, my older two were like, I would not eat the cookie. But then our youngest was like, <laughs> I'd eat the cookie. And I was like, "Yeah, thank you for your honesty, Ange. Yes, you would eat the cookie. And she's only five, and that's, that's normal, right? It's normal for a kid to not be able... To hold off and make a wise decision about what might come in the future, delaying something now to get something more in the future. That's a learned skill. Five-year-olds are not good at that. And apparently Esau had never managed that one. Because you get to this point in the story and Jacob says, um, I will sell you this stew for your birthright. And Esau says, Okay. So in verse 33, Jacob says, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So es- okay, you're tracking here, right? Esau has a birthright. Twice the inheritance of his brother. All these blessings. God's going to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And Esau says, you know what? I'm just really hungry. I'm going to trade you my birthright for a bowl of stew. Okay, this isn't, this isn't a magic bowl of stew, right? This isn't like Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Where Jack goes off and he trades the cow for some beans and the mom's really mad. She's like, how could you trade a cow for beans? He's like, but mom, they're magic beans. And, and he ends up getting you know, wealthy off of this thing because that's a fairy tale. This is not a magic bowl of stew where it's like every four hours it refills with more food and he can keep eating it. Maybe, maybe that would be worth the birthright. But this is just a bowl of stew. He eats it, he's satisfied for an hour, maybe two, and he's hungry again. But this time he doesn't have a birthright. Okay, don't be that guy. That's the point in Hebrews. He's saying, he's saying, look, look at Esau. Look at the foolishness, the idiocy. The short-sightedness of someone who would trade his birthright for a bowl of stew. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy who trades his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, now, now what am I talking about? Do we, What do you mean? I'm not, I'm not tempted to trade a birthright. I don't even have a birthright, and I don't even like stew. What are you talking about? Okay. There's lots of ways in which you do this. I'm going to give you some little ways as an example, and then one big way that's super dangerous. Some little ways, just little trades that we make that are like Esau. All the time, we trade our future for stuff. We trade our future for stuff. So, So we can get so consumed with desire for the latest and greatest thing, whether it's a decoration or a car or some gadget, and we can be like Esau and say, I have to have this or I'm going to die. What good is it for me to keep living if I can't have this and so we buy it and then we wonder why we're never getting out of debt. Why can we never achieve that financial future that we've dreamed for ourselves is because we are trading our future for stuff. We can't delay the gratification long enough to achieve financial goals. So that's one way in which we do this. Sometimes we trade our future for sex. That one's right there in the passage. He says, don't be like Esau, sexually immoral or unholy. I was just talking with a guy last week whose teenage son is going to be a father. Um, this wasn't planned. Totally changing the life path and trajectory of this boy, this young man, and this woman. Okay, so they, they traded their futures, their entire life, for a few moments of pleasure. And it's not just teenagers who do that some ways, I think we should cut them more slack. They're just teenagers, right? They're like little kids with a cookie. I mean, what do they know? But, I mean, adults do this. Some, I know there's some of you here whose lives have been altered forever because somebody else couldn't make the right choice. Because a parent couldn't choose to delay that gratification, to say no to that urge, and they broke your family apart. And they've changed the direction of your entire life and the lives of your children. Because they traded their future for momentary pleasure. And your future. So we do this. Don't be that guy. We can trade our future for entertainment, for video games, and we can spend so much time just wasting, literally wasting, how do we talk about this? I'm just wasting some time, just killing some time. We trade our lives, our very lives for entertainment. Just watching another show, playing another game. I, I trade time with my children because I'm so consumed with getting the next high score on something that means nothing. Okay? We, we struggle with this. We trade our relationships, we trade our very lives for things that have no value. There's so many bowls of stew screaming for our attention, whether it's our, um, you know, it could be literal food. I mean, it really could be food for you. You've got an unhealthy relationship with it. It could be success. It could be uh, a desire for fame or recognition or some thrill or there's whatever it is. There's things that are out there, and there's things, I, "I have to have that thing or I will die." And we trade our future for a bolus too. Okay, don't don't do that. Don't be that guy. Don't don't eat the cookie. All right, just don't don't eat the cookie. Just just wait. Just wait. Just wait five minutes. There's better stuff coming. But th- those are just little ways. That's really not the main application of the Esau story. Uh, the mistake is much bigger than that. Uh, he continues in verse 17 in Hebrews 12. He says, You know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The rest of the story is that uh, a while later, when Isaac, the father, was going to die, uh, he was about to give his blessing to Esau. This is a big deal. This is, this is not just some words. This is a, a prophetic blessing that Isaac was going to give to his older son as a, as a part of the package of being the older son. And it would, it would be effectual. It would actually accomplish something in his life. It would be a wonderful gift. Uh, and Jacob manages to trick his father into giving it to him. So Jacob gets the blessing. And part of this blessing is Isaac blesses and says, your brother will serve you. You will rule over him. And he, he passes it on. So now we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Jacob becomes the one who's inheritor of the blessings, not Esau. Now when Esau finds out that this has happened, he's totally devastated, as he should be. And he begs Isaac. He says, please, Father, please take it back. Give it to me. It was just a big mistake. Is there anything that you can do? Bless me, Father. And he says, I've done it. It's, it's over. It's too late. I can't take it back. What's done is done. Now now this is a picture of the people who make the biggest mistake of all, the, the, the worst trade in the history of the world. The people who refuse to come to Jesus in this life because they don't want to change how they live now. People who are willing to trade eternity in heaven for the freedom to live now however they want people who are willing to sacrifice the joy of life with God forever for short-term pleasures and self-determination. Folks who'd say, what good is is heaven? What good is heaven if I can't sleep with whoever I want to right now? What good is eternal life if I have to submit to the authority of Jesus over my day-to-day decisions? If that's you, if if that sounds like you, um, just, again, look at the first point. Don't miss out on grace. Don't miss out on grace. If if you've been walking down that road and and you've really been resisting following Jesus and you're not ready to submit to him because you don't want to give up something in your life, don't be that guy. Don't trade eternal life, don't trade a wonderful future forever for a short, temporary choice. Okay? All those other ones that we talked about, the, the bad financial choices, or relationship choices, or entertainment, all those things are little pictures, just like Esau, of the worst decision that you could ever make in your life. To trade eternity for a short-term life of doing what you want. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who are just like Esau when they're standing there before God and the verdict comes down. He says, you know, you didn't believe in my son. You you made the wrong choice. I offered you grace. You didn't take it. You're justly condemned. There's going to be people like Esau begging him to say, please. Can I just have one more chance? I, I was intended to repent. It just was never the right time. I, just, I wanted to, to just have a little more fun for myself before I turn my life over to you. I, I, just, I just need one more chance. I was an idiot. I'll admit it. I, I was wrong. Can I, can I please have one more chance? And, and at that point, when you're standing before God, it's, it's over. What's done is done. The choice has already been made. It'll be too late like it was for Esau. See, we all have to decide in this life right now if we're going to come to Jesus or not. Once you're dead, it's too late to repent. So don't, don't be that guy. If you've been waiting to come to Jesus because you don't want to give up some short-term pleasure in your life, don't, don't wait anymore. Don't trade your inheritance for a bull stew. I'm going to close in prayer. If, if any of these warnings have hit you today, Um, as I pray, I want to give you a a minute to repent. Okay, I mean, the answer is the same for all these things, right? Um, If you are that guy who uh, has missed out on grace, uh, what you need to do is you need to come to Jesus. You need to accept the grace and receive forgiveness. If you're the guy who's just been pretending and living a double life and and only seeming like you're a Christian, then, then what you need to do uh, is you need to come to Jesus. You need to believe the gospel you need to repent. And if you've lived your life where you're uh, just living for yourself and you've been putting off trusting in Christ because you just aren't ready for him to be the Lord of your life yet, then what you need to do is repent and believe the gospel. Okay. So I want to give you a minute here as I pray to to let that happen. And you know that I don't know what's going on in your heart. I've, I've confessed. This is, this is scripture. I want the Holy Spirit to work. But let's give him some time now as I pray, and and just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus for grace. Let's pray.